Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. The scripture today is taken from Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and 22 through 24. First, let's pray. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood, Carry them over with you and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men from the Israelites, whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the one for each of you each tribe of the Israelites. So when your children ask their parents in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The grass withers and the flower dies, but the word of our God will stand forever. Good morning, Village. It is such a joy to be with you all today. I have been looking forward to this Sunday for weeks. This church has shaped my family more than any other congregation, so it is truly an honor to be invited back here today. Thank you. Normally, on a Sunday morning, as Roger said, you will find me at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian in New York City, where I serve as an associate pastor. Most weeks, I'm in the chancel, but a few weeks ago, we were short-staffed in the children's wing, so I volunteered to help lead the children's church for the morning. I thought to myself, I have a seminary degree. I'm an adult. They're giving me a curriculum. It's just 
Children, I've got this. Famous last words, right? By the time I got down to the children's wing that morning, it appeared that the kiddos had been able to consume many dozens of sugar donuts. That is how enthusiastic they were. They were running laps around the room. You would have thought there was an emergency or a sporting event of some type. I scurried into the middle of the joyful mayhem and sat down on the floor and invited the kiddos to gather around for story time. And using some wooden props and some felt that they had in the classroom, we acted out the scripture story for the day with our hands. After telling the story, the curriculum suggested that I prompt the kiddos to ask questions about the text. I thought this was a good idea. I thought, yes, this will invite them to participate, but I should have thought about that longer. We were supposed to ask I wonder questions, questions like, I wonder, did Noah like being with all those animals? I wonder, Did Noah ever get seasick? You get the point. Instead, the questions took on a life of their own. One kid yelled from the back, Were there ants on the ark? Then another kid said, Do ants like donuts? And then a precocious seven-year-old in the front said, Do ants get married? Which was followed by a bunch of oohs and Do humans get married? Why do humans get married? In approximately 2.5 seconds, we had traveled from were there ants on the ark to how are babies made? (laughs) And I thought to myself, oh, I don't got this. (laughs) Children can ask a lot of questions. Sometimes, like that Sunday in children's church, those Questions keep us on our toes and throw us a curveball. But sometimes, kids ask us questions about our faith. Questions like, What do you think God looks like? And, Do dogs go to heaven? And, Do you think God knows my name? And in those moments, You can't find holier ground to stand on. And I think Joshua, the leader in our text for today, knew that. I think Joshua knew that kids will ask questions, that the future will ask questions, and I think Joshua knew that those questions could help us stand on holy ground. Our scripture passage for today is Joshua chapter 4, which tells the story of the Israelites crossing into the promised land. For 40 years, Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness. They wandered in the desert. They lived on manna and quail, searching for that ever-evasive promised land. And after 40 faithful years when Moses passed away, God tapped Joshua to take his place. 
And in chapter 4, the portion we read today, it's Joshua who finally leads the Israelites across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And the story of how that move happens is actually quite beautiful. According to the text, the Israelites make it to the banks of the Jordan River a few days before they actually cross over. And when they arrive, they spend their time preparing for the crossing. They sanctify themselves, and Joshua gathers the people around to listen to the word once more before their journey finishes. This is how I know that Joshua was a Presbyterian. Because instead of a free-for-all sprint into the promised land, which is probably what I would have voted for after 40 years, Joshua organizes the people so that they might enter decently and in order. (laughs) God bless them. On the day of the actual crossing, the priests wade into the Jordan River first. The priests were supposed to lead the way, carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. But when the priest stepped into the river to begin the journey, the water stopped. Now, this is not an insignificant moment, because in the chapter prior to what we read today, we learn that the Jordan River was in flood season. The waters would have been high. The waters would have been choppy. It would not have been easy for an entire nation to cross safely. But when the priests step into that flow, when they get their feet wet, the text tells us that the water stops. Scripture literally describes it by saying, the water piled up in a heap a great distance away. So for the second time in history, God parted the waters, and once more the Israelites walk on dry land. Can you imagine it? When the entire nation finally gets to the other side, the first thing Joshua does is build a monument. Joshua sends 12 men from the 12 tribes back into that dry riverbed to find stones and roll them out of the river and onto the bank of the shore so that they can build a monument. I'm sure some thought Joshua was crazy. I'm sure some thought Joshua was getting, us, getting sentimental, wanting a river souvenir, or that he'd simply wanted to build some sort of marker to claim the land as their own. But that wasn't it. No, Joshua said, get 12 stones from the river because children ask questions. You see, Joshua knew that one day the children would ask, the future would ask, why are these stones here? And Joshua said, when they do, it will be a holy moment because you will get to tell them about this day. Joshua said, tell the children about the God who walks with you in the wilderness. 
Tell the children about the God who liberated you from slavery. Tell the children about the God who parted the sea and the river. Tell them about the God who gave manna in the wilderness. Tell them that God loves them and calls them by name. That's why they gathered the stones. It was the first thing they did when they got to the promised land because Joshua knew that the children would ask, the future would ask, and when they did, he said, make sure you tell them this story. I think Joshua was on to something, don't you? When I was a college student and first began to discern a call to ministry, I wrote a letter to every single Presbyterian church in my zip code, begging someone to hire me. And by the grace of God, someone did. (laughs) I got a job working at a small Presbyterian church in Richmond, Virginia, with a delightful congregation. At the time I was hired, the church did not have a youth group, so I asked the pastor if I could start one, and with the church's blessing, I began gathering the teenagers that were in the pews each Sunday. It was not long after I started that one of those students, we'll call her Kate, ended up in the hospital. Kate had made a suicide attempt which, thanks be to God, had failed. And it was there in the hospital as she was waking up in the recovery wing that Kate confessed to her mom that she had been the victim of bullying and abuse. Kate ended up in a long-term treatment program, a therapy center that could help her unpack her trauma and heal. And despite the fact that this was a good thing for her, Kate was young, and she was far from home, and she was scared. So when word got out, a few members of the church gathered together, and they decided that they were going to write Kate a letter for every day that she was away. They called themselves her care team. And Kate's care team included people like her elementary Sunday school teacher and her confirmation mentor and a man named Mr. Franklin who sat in the row behind Kate's family her whole life. It included a few women from the choir named Bonnie and Sylvia who always bought Girl Scout cookies from Kate. And together, those adults made a rotation of when they would send their letters. And while I never read those letters, Kate told me about them. And she said that in those notes, those faithful folks from the church told her their stories. They told her that she was not alone. They told her about the wilderness seasons in their own lives. 
They told her about the God that they believed in, a God of radical love and mercy and justice. They told her about all the times that the church had been there for them and that God was never going to give up on her and neither would they. They told her about the wilderness and they told her about love. And like stones by the river, Kate stacked those letters by her bedside, and she read them every day. After Kate got discharged, she shared with me that there were days and weeks at the beginning of that program where she was convinced that she would never feel good again. She told me that there were days and weeks where she would be, she was convinced that the scars would always be the first thing that she saw, that the trauma would always be the first thing on her mind, and that the question in her head would always be, where is God in all of this? But the church, she laughed. She said the church just wouldn't stop sending me letters. Friends, I think Joshua gathered stones by the river because he knew that the future might one day ask, where is God in all of this? And when that day came, Joshua wanted the future faithful to be able to point to those stones by the river and to tell their children about that day. And this moment amazes me because Joshua anticipated a need that was not the present reality in their current moment. Joshua anticipated that despite the joy and the hope of their current moment, despite the ecstasy and relief that the Israelites felt finally making it into the promised land, he knew that some future version of them may need to borrow from the faith of the present day in order to get by. Joshua anticipated that some future version of them may need to hear that story again about crossing the river on dry ground and about a God who walks with us in the wilderness. And because of that possibility, Joshua stacked stones. He did it because he knew that the future might ask, where is God in all of this? And when those questions came, he wanted them to tell the story of that day. Church, I think we could learn something from Joshua, because I think the future will ask similar questions of us. Village, for 75 years now, you have been an amazing church. You have been faithful and creative and bold and hopeful and warm and inviting. For 75 years now, people like me have looked to you to understand what it means to be the church. So on Tuesday night, you will celebrate this milestone of faithful living. And then on Tuesday, you will begin again, reaching for 75 more. 
And while I am confident that the next 75 years will be beautiful and holy, I am also aware that the future may not always come easy because the future will have its own set of questions. For as long as we live in a world that is dropping bombs and building walls, as long as we live in a world where teenagers need long-term treatment programs and kids are forced to grow up too fast, then people in the world will be asking, where is God in all of this? And when those questions come, I hope you can take a page from Joshua's playbook and tell them about this day. Tell the children about your faith. Tell the world about this community and the way it has changed your life. Tell them stories about this church. Tell them the stories of the buses you filled with supplies and sent to New Orleans after Katrina. Tell them about the Sunday morning when the inclusion of LGBTQ folks was preached in this pulpit and you all applauded. Tell them stories about the free health clinic and the clothes closet and the funerals where people have stood in this room and insisted that love is stronger than death. Tell them that there's an associate pastor in New York who learned what it feels like to belong because of you all. Tell them what you believe about God. Now, I'm not asking you to go stand on the street corner and yell at people about your faith. That's not really proven to be productive. But what I am asking, encouraging, and hoping of you is that you will be like Kate's care team and you will be like Joshua at the edge of the river, and that you will be willing to tell people where you've seen God if they ask, because I think the world is going to ask. So for the next beautiful 75 years, may we all be brave like Joshua. May we write letters. Letters about God, about community, about belonging. May we stack them by our bedside like stones, and may we not be afraid to speak about the God that we know now. Because if we can do that, if you can do that, then watch out, world. In 75 years, this little corner of Mission Road is going to feel that much closer to the promised land. May it be so, with God's help. Friends, pray with me. We believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.